Hey everybody, you're about to listen to an Unlocked Premium episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We hope you'll consider subscribing to our Patreon once you realize the premium episodes don't suck. Enjoy! I am 100% behind Q. He's working for the president, he's working for our country. Alien Welcome, dear listeners, to the eighth premium chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the ISIS USIS, we all cis for ISIS episode. We are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Julian Field, and Travis Few. This episode is going to be so good, I've shaved my legs and used the hair to make a small doll that I sleep with at night. <laughs> That's how good it's going to be. First up, we'll be finding out all the fascinating things that the QAnon community thinks about ISIS, or ISIL, or Daesh, or whatever you want to call them. Then we'll do a bit of a deep dive into the origins and history of the violent extremist Thank group. Thank you for listening Finally, to our we have Unlocked with Premium Jake episode. A journalist you and filmmaker join who is specialized in irregular warfare. He's the founder Anonymous, of the independent for five podcast bucks a Popular month, you Front, can subscribe which is focused on the niche details of, of modern premium warfare. Episodes. Oh, Thank uh, you and he also spent some time in a, a Turkish jail thing. with some ISIS fighters. Uh, anyways, you won't believe what happens next. QAnon News. Arson suspected after a fire at the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria. Get, get, get fucked, Travis. I'm sick of this shit. What? <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry that you're the messenger, but this is just unacceptable <laughs> at this point. I'm, right. I'm sick of the slide into this fucking nightmarish reality. All right. So on January 23rd, an arsonist allegedly started a fire at Comet Ping Pong, the Washington, D.C. pizzeria that was targeted by internet hoaxers as part of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Uh, according to a police report, an unidentified person set a curtain uh, in the back of the restaurant on fire at around 10.45 p.m. Uh, Comet staffers used a fire extinguisher to put out the fire, and no injuries were reported. The ATF released a photograph of the arson suspect, but his motive is not yet known. Not enough pepperoni slices. Right. He just dissatisfied customer. The ATF can't even bring themselves to say that the motive was the belief. In a conspiracy theory, well, yeah. where children were being held in meat lockers in the bottom oh. of a pizza place. Wait, they believe that there's meat lockers? I don't know. I was just kind of oh, okay. <laughs> I, just I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Anytime but. I think about comet pe- ping pong, I just I try to think of the scene from Taken. Um, yeah, any scene from Taken, really. I mean, that's what you try to think of anytime you're doing anything, including yeah. making love. Yeah, just just Liam Neeson's beautiful voice. Yeah, uh, his swift kicks. Yeah. <laughs> I actually originally thought that they had burned the place down, like, successfully. No, 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 no. This, okay, is, this, well, I, this I, is just someone setting a fire uh, of some curtains in the back, and it was put out put out quickly, but it was suspected arson. I'd like to officially um, remove my statement, Travis, get fucked, from the record. <laughs> Everything's still fine. Right. They haven't yet burned down the pizza place due to a conspiracy theory. They only put the curtains on fire like children playing with matches. Not close enough, you know. I mean, I know what is they that. Were what do- we're, is that what our take is to encourage this man to do better next I know time? They I, were, don't, I don't think right. that's. I know what they were <laughs> doing. Really dedicated. Look, I, look. This I, building is an ash. You're really not trying hard enough. I feel like you underachieving know, much. I feel like I'm in the minds of some of these people, or 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 they're yeah. in the minds of me. But uh, yeah, I think you know he wanted to uh, create some kind of fire that didn't really hurt people. But, you know, got the authorities there, got them into the basement, got them looking into the meat lockers, okay. got them finding the children. Right. We're going to go with Jake get fucked now. 
<laughs> just be clear, this is 100% speculation. We don't actually yeah, we don't know 100% know. whether it's related to the conspiracy theory. He might just be a guy who likes to light fires. Um, yeah, that might be the case. Yeah, you would think, I mean, honestly, if if, if they knew for sure that the motive was uh, Pizzagate visibility, which is hashtag Pizzagate visibility is, is no. the new... <laughs> again, <laughs> again, you're canceled and no. Uh, is the new, you would think that the, the cops would be all over it, be like, uh, we looked at his computer and clearly he was a follower of the insane uh, online conspiracy Guys, theory. What if Pizza he was? Gate. What if you? Okay, so he read through the whole theory. He's like, interesting. So I can just go to this place and order a cheese pizza, and get what I want. And he went there. He ordered a cheese pizza. They gave him a cheese pizza, oh. and he was so fucking pissed that he didn't get what he thought they were going to give him for a cheese pizza. Mm-hmm. That he tried to burn the place. Down. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he's just a. He's just. <laughs> He's just a yeah. He's just a client. He's like the, no right. children for me, no children for anybody. <laughs> he just he's going through all the different like um, things that are supposed to symbolize uh, different children or whatever. He's like, wait, okay, so I guess the cheese is not. Maybe they're just out or whatever. Uh, can I have a pepperoni? Um, no, okay. You got any sausages back there or what? What is you it? Hot any, dogs? Uh, you know, walnut sauce back there. You what know is what that? I'm saying? What is that one? Uh, it, it is that was, one of their it, things? It's one of the codes from the Podesta emails. Oh, God. Yeah. Walnut sauce? I'm sorry, but that... I mean, if you're going to use a code, wouldn't you make it something that isn't like some freaky upper middle class bullshit like walnut sauce? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Classic Podesta. Yeah. Could I have some of that white wine risotto? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, exactly. Why would you Why would you pick like... I mean, pick like an every man's dish, you yeah. know, like poutine. Yeah, or like, you know, why not just say like children's semen? Oh. I mean, it's probably... <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's probably less believable. It's a premium episode. Uh, yeah, okay, but if it's like ambrosia, like the children will have given it of their own accord, and then you can just pay $1,000 to have it on your pizza. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't know. Uh, the jury is out on what happened there, but uh, we're, we're glad is the official statement by the podcast, right? We're glad that this place didn't burn to the ground. And yes. that everybody is safe. Yes. And that everybody is safe. All right. Um, hope they catch that guy. Next up, YouTube announces algorithm changes to decrease the number of recommended conspiracy videos. Huge bummer. So <laughs> so uh, YouTube will tweak its algorithm to recommend less content that, quote, comes close, end quote, to violating site rules the company announced on January 24th. Comes close. They fucking host, like, people in their living yeah. room with Nazi flags in the background. Yeah. Maybe address that before the conspiracy theories, you fucking morons. Yeah, yeah maybe. Baby steps. Yeah, baby maybe steps. not just come close. Close. What the fuck is that shit? I don't know. So uh, YouTube's recommendation algorithm suggests new videos for viewers, but some genres of videos, especially conspiracy videos, have been criticized yeah. for their frequent appearance in those recommendations. Hmm. The company's new policy will cut back on recommendations of, quote, content that could misinform users in harmful ways, end quote, YouTube said in a memo. It cited three specific conspiracy theories affected by the new policy. Uh, flat Earth theories, miracle cures, and 9-11 trutherism. And, uh, the, of course, the q community did not react well to the news, especially the Q-tubers who were saying that, oh, YouTube is censoring us, that kind of stuff. I'm sorry, but, like, these are the three... I mean, miracle cures aside, because I understand that one, but the other two are fucking, like, disactivated, essentially. Like, they're not really the... The big issue right now on yeah, any level. This, like this is an excellent point. These aren't really the most harmful conspiracy theories no, that YouTube is yeah. spreading. Flat Earth is just dumb it's and a, yeah. funny to make fun of, but like it, it and then what? 9-11 trutherism? Who gives a shit anymore? Yeah, like it doesn't I'm yeah. sorry, but it just doesn't it's it doesn't moot. matter. It's old. Where, where the fuck is the QAnon? 
They you didn't know? mention QAnon specifically, but 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 a lot of people suspect that you know it was sort of hinted that like also QAnon videos and Pizzagate videos these will be affected too. Well, this cer- certainly signifies uh, my end uh, of my time with the podcast because I will no longer be able to find videos uh, yeah. that propel uh, the information uh, that I bring here uh, to you, the listeners, uh, every week. Let me tell you something about these kinds of policies, Jake. They never change anything. Oh, good. Yeah. It makes you feel better. It'll, it'll probably just bullshitting. It'll probably make some superficial changes and nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. just PR yeah. shit. It, what, it, what it'll do is it, it won't it won't recommend any conspiracy theories to normies. It'll like somehow know that like you're fu- you're fucking normal, and it'll be like, all right, we're gonna send you to a. Uh, we're going to send you to an outtake from America's Got Talent. But the people like me that it knows, it'll be like, oh, oh don't worry. We, we've got yeah. seven sticks and hammer videos <laughs> lined up for you. Don't worry. Also, count, countdown to a website just called Deleted YouTube Videos that'll, that'll host right. anything ever <laughs> deleted from YouTube yeah. to make sure that there's no loss there. Yeah. And next up, we have the connection between QAnon and ISIS, who do have th- some thoughts on the terrorist group. The TLDR of ISIS in the QAnon universe is that Obama loved ISIS and Trump hates ISIS. So true. And it sounds stupid, and it really is. <laughs> so <laughs> and so I, ISIS featured early in the QAnon narrative, so less than a week after Q first started posting, in a November 2nd, 2017 Q drop, Q said this. Does anyone find it to be a coincidence? There is always a terrorist attack when bad news breaks for the D's. What is that called? Military relevant. How? B.O. could not and would not allow the military to destroy ISIS. Why? How was ISIS formed? When? How has POTUS made such progress in the short time he's been president? So here, Q is implying that terrorists are actually actively helping Democrats by only striking when it might help Democrats in the news cycle. And I, I really don't see how terrorist attacks would benefit Democrats since Republicans, having successfully branded themselves as the party that's strong in national defense, actually stand more to gain from increased fear of terrorism. Yeah, no, it, does, it doesn't really check out. Although I do like the idea of Nancy Pelosi trying to speak Arabic. Right. Just on the phone being like, uh, Mr. Al-Bakr, uh, <laughs> give me one second. I have to receive 25,000 roses. <laughs> so Q is also saying here that Obama deliberately withheld military force against ISIS in order to allow the organization to grow. Uh, Q made this point more forcefully in a December 21st, 2018 Q drop. Why did Hussein bring people into the White House who hate America and what we stand for? What years did HRC serve as Secretary of State? What years did ISIS expand? Why did Hussein put restrictions on U.S. Mill Command? Re-ability to attack targets at will. White House direct approval rec for each action? What I love about this uh, kind of shit is it, it, it kind of is actually like a classic Republican talking point where they'll go to war for like eight years or some shit. Basically... You know, they'll, they'll spend all their fucking time, like, pissing the world off really, really bad. And then the next administration tries to, like, somewhat withdraw. And maybe not in an intelligent way. Like, I'm not arguing they're good at it. But they try to withdraw. And it's just like, oh, the whole world is pissed off. It turns out there's more terrorism than ever. It's like, yeah, I mean, no shit. 
In the uh, QAnon world, they actually don't believe ISIS arose organically. They suspect it was actually created through a combination of efforts, like the CIA, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar. And they believe ISIS was aided and abetted by Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and John McCain. They think the CIA was actively trying to create ISIS. Yes, yes. And yeah. then what happened? Like, oh yeah, Trump came. Like Trump came and he cleaned it up, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This this just plays into the whole deep state narrative. Yeah, like where the sort of the, the deeper levels of the federal government aren't just not acting in the interest of Americans. They're actually working against the interest, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of talk in the message boards and the chants. It's not even so much that they created ISIS, but that they're this sort of entity that's to be controlled, but not eliminated. Like a bonsai. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's it. They were sort of like cultivated and nurtured. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You got to prune your ISIS plant. The QAnon community has particular ire for the late John McCain, or as they call him in Q World, no name, because they won't say his name. In uh, April 8th, 2018, Q drop, Q posted an image of John McCain standing with some men in Syria, and the image falsely claims the men are high-level ISIS officials. Uh, in reality, the men pictured in the image are members of the Free Syrian Army, an insurgent group that opposes ISIS. My favorite part about this is that this is one of the things that Jake got in trouble for on the earlier episodes. It's actually the, the thing he gets the most in trouble for whenever people listen to the backlog. I know, one of the guys in the fucking picture hit me up on Twitter. Straight up. No fucking way. He got yeah, tagged, Jake. Seriously. D- like, they, they, they tweeted to us and tagged the one of the guys in the picture, who's just a guy on Twitter, and is not ISIS, of course, but, right. you know, whatever. Yeah, he's just a p- political guy. But, yeah. of course, uh, you know, when you are when you have those, those scary beards and when you're wearing that, that, that Palestinian flag, uh, you know, I'm assuming that that thing they wear around their neck with the checkers is the Palestinian flag, and mm-hmm. please don't write in to correct me. But, yeah, it's very scary to the Westerners, you know, and then they see this white man standing around these people. It's like, why would he do that? Clearly, he's aiding and abetting terrorism. These are the same people that are scared of, like, Muslims in their supermarkets. Yeah. Like, literally, they, they, they cross them in the vegetable aisle, and they're like, oh, God, oh, I made it out. I made it out. Yeah. You know, it really, they, they do this a lot. They sort of, they sort of uh, tie every scary brown people together. Yeah, this, like, um, in fact, Q often absurdly ties together ISIS and the international criminal gang MS-13. Yeah. Even though there are wildly different organizations who operate in different countries, have different levels of power and resources, have completely different agendas. There's no evidence whatsoever of MS-13 and ISIS ever working together. Those sentences, it's just so sad you have to type them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you have to explain what difference is. Okay, so they're from a different part, and they have a different name, and their power is different, and I mean... (laughs) Just, okay, have you ever heard of apples and oranges? <laughs> right. uh, let me explain. Q just does this all the time. Sometimes it just says, oh, ISIS slash MS-13, as if they're, like, closely tied together or something. Yeah, well, well, both state-run uh, organizations yeah, sure, right. that... Both uh, run by the CIA, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, in fact, Q has implied, and I shit you not, that the migrant caravan that Trump was assessed with in the run-up to the midterm elections contained members of MS-13 and ISIS who were being imported in order to carry out assassinations for the Democrats. In a, a Q-drop about the migrant caravan, Q said this. MS-13, ISIS, reinforcements for wet work. That's cool. Yeah, right. So, you know, by the way, some QAnon people uh, also think that MS-13 is the Democrats' private hit squad and that an MS-13 member may have killed Seth Rich. So in the QAnon world, Obama may have loved ISIS, but America's ISIS-coddling ways were ended the moment that Trump, our hero, took office. 
in an April 8th, 2018 Q drop, Q said this. Why did Hussein protect ISIS? POTUS ISIS focus and destroy one year? Versus Hussein, eight years? As GWB, DC Access, sold out. Bring back the gallows. Q. Okay. Uh, That's saying that Trump destroyed ISIS in one year. Yeah. And that's really something too important in the QAnon world. They just don't think that the U.S. military under Trump administration has made progress in fighting ISIS. They believe that Trump has effectively destroyed and eliminated ISIS. Just wiped them from the map. This is fucking erasure of the Kurdish forces in Syria. Right. Um, I'm sick of it. So it, it sounds crazy. Yeah, but of course it, it is. But it's also interestingly, basically the Trump administration's official stance on ISIS. So, uh, like, ju- in fact, just a couple weeks ago on uh, January sixteenth, uh, Vice President Pence said, "Quote: The caliphate has crumbled and ISIS has been defeated." Earlier the same day, ISIS killed Americans in Syria, specifically two U.S. Sem- service members, one department, uh, uh, one Department of Defense civilian, and one contractor supporting the Department of Defense were killed in an explosion in uh, Manbij, Syria. So, in, you know, while it's true apparently that uh, U.S.-backed forces have retaken almost all of the territory that ISIS controlled in Iraq and Syria, that's obviously different than defeating ISIS, the organization itself. In fact, you can just Google News search the keyword ISIS and see lots of news stories about the things that the, the very much not defeated ISIS has been up to recently. But I'm sure our guest is going to go into more details about that. Yeah. You know, I think that in ISIS, you know, because they are, you know, a genuinely evil and brutal terrorist organization, uh, generally serve the role of like a foil in the QAnon universe. The whole ISIS storyline is used to paint the enemies of Q as evil and Trump as a hero and rescuer. And uh, their fictional version of events, Obama, Clinton, and John McCain failed to fight ISIS and wasn't merely due to incompetence. So these villains somehow protected and supported ISIS. But then Trump came riding on his white horse to slay the evil ISIS. And now, in their confused world, ISIS is no more. And the world is now a safer place. I mean, if it's going to get the average American to to just stop paying attention to this, because they just have never processed anything in the Middle East, you know, remotely with any information or, or depth or intelligence. Might as well just have them be like, yeah, it's over. Just stop. Yeah, right. paying, please just stop paying attention to this. Yeah, right. yeah well, problem it, solved. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. It's like ISIS is the ultimate bat guy. They right. wear they wear yeah. fucking black robes. They cut people heads. You know, they cut people's heads off. They, I mean, they crucify people. They perform ethnic cleansing. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, uh, hideous. They they are the. It's it's so weird because in reality, they are the quintessential bad guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in the QAnon story, it serves the exact same purpose. I mean, nobody's gonna be like. Well, what are you talking about? Like, like well, ISIS is like nobody's going to go right. out of their way to defend ISIS in any kind of shape or form. That's and because so, the average QAnon person just thinks Muslims bad. So it's like they need something more. They already knew that. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. It has to be tied to like Hillary Clinton and mm. Obama, people I actually understand a little more about and and hate. Our next section is a deep dive by Julian into the world of. ISIS. The world of ISIS. It's a great follow-up to ISIS Brothers, the first game. (laughs) (laughs) So ISIS stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. It is also known as ISIL, or the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Or in Arabic, the group goes by the acronym Daesh. ISIS is a militant group of jihadists. They are fundamentalist Salafists who embrace an extreme version of Sunni Islam. 
Basically, they reject all innovation in Islam. They reserve the right to carry out takfir, which means uh, they declare another Muslim to be outside the creed and can thus execute them, which is... Jesus so Christ. Very... <laughs> Finally, they espouse jihad, or holy war, against... Uh, actually, it's actually... The, the real translation is kind of like struggle, which is... Yeah, so they're, they're, they espouse kampf, um, sorry, jihad, or holy war, against what they think are, quote, infidel regimes. They reject Shia Muslims and what they see as the Western trend towards liberalism and humanism. Instead of believing in Tawhid, the concept that God is one, and anybody who doesn't believe exactly that is guilty of an unpardonable sin. ISIS was launched by Abu Musab al-Zarqawi in 1999 under the working title of Jamaat al-Tawhid wal-Jihad, which means Organization of Monotheism and Jihad, which actually kind of almost sounds a little boring. Yeah, but yeah. ISIS really hit their stride around 2004 when they pledged loyalty to al-Qaeda and participated in the Iraqi insurgency against the U.S.-led forces in Iraq. As we all remember, in 2003, George Bush and his administration broke international law and using claims that Iraq was building and hiding weapons of mass destruction and had been intimately involved in 9-11, they invaded Iraq and deposed Saddam Hussein, who was eventually hung in a dimly lit basement. You know, like the U.S. does. I saw that video. Saddam went down like a fucking G, too. I don't know if you guys have seen the video, but he's wearing like a big pea coat, yelling at people till like the moment the trapdoor drops. Like, you do not, under any circumstances, have to hand it to Saddam Hussein, Jake. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not well, handing it to well, him. I'm just saying that, saying you know, you're, when just, you're... you're just speaking through your jewel smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. He, he died as he lived, basically. He died as he yeah, lived, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, rock on, baby. Anyways, the U.S. did a few horrifying things during this time, so let's try to list them quickly. They shot quite a few civilians at checkpoints. Uh, they had a policy of basically opening fire if a car didn't stop or whatever. In villages, they killed uh, quite a few people as well. There were some uh, genocides. And during the peaceful protests by local populations, that there were some bullets and uh, dozens of people were killed. Uh, one of these protests turned bloody was in Fallujah, which would later become an ISIS stronghold. The U.S. partook in torture at sites like the now infamous Abu Ghraib, and U.S. soldiers turned a blind eye to looting during the invasion and its aftermath. This included the destruction and looting of almost all the ministry buildings, museums, hospitals, public universities, embassies, and state-owned factories, which were methodically looted by thieves and militias who pulled up in cargo trucks and took everything they wanted. Wow. The one ministry they protected, want to guess? Ministry of Oil, baby. <laughs> no way. Woo! <laughs> well, they posted fucking Marines at the doors of the Ministry of Oil. Wow. Well, you gotta... Was... I can't say I'm surprised... But I am disappointed. <laughs> now, this is this is the, the worst part. I mean, none of those things are good, but this was probably the biggest strategic mistake the United States made. They disbanded the Iraqi army overnight, which meant that half a million trained and armed men found themselves jobless citizens in a country on fire. The daddy of ISIS, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, realized that many among them were part of the minority Sunni population and used the opportunity to recruit heavily for his new Iraqi wing of al-Qaeda, which would later become ISIS. Colin Powell would eventually admit that the jobless soldiers were, quote, prime recruits for insurgency. Too little, too late, dickhead. The U.S. also jailed a bunch of jihadis at Camp Bukha without isolating them from each other. These included the dude who would later be the top dog of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and everyone used this as a pretty fun after work, radicalizing those who hadn't already been and generally strengthening their love for jihad. 
All of these things contributed to a surge in radicalization, of course, and since the country's infrastructure was virtually non-existent, many people were struggling to survive and ended up joining the militias just to support themselves and their families. It was easy to recruit in a country that had been bombed to shit by the 200,000-strong U.S.-led coalition, which at the time of the invasion also included the United Kingdom, Australia, and Poland. Uh, in that order, eh? the U.K. was, was the big uh, second, and then Australia is, is quite a bit behind, and then Poland was, like I think, just a few hundred. Lots of other countries joined at various points afterwards, though. You can go look it up online, lest this podcast just become a list of nation-states. There were literally at least like 20 or 30 countries that Holy eventually shit. got involved. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't want the look of going in first. Yeah. <laughs> Following the U.S. We'll, we'll take that. Yeah, the U.S. loves... <laughs> the U.S. always loves the look of going in first. Yeah, we'll go in first. <laughs> they don't care what's beyond it. I mean, who in the movie goes in second? You don't remember that guy. <laughs> no, you never remember. That no. guy, he gets killed, right? He gets killed because he's yeah. afraid. Following the U.S. invasion, ISIS carried out suicide attacks on Shia mosques, civilians, government institutions, and Italian soldiers who were part of the U.S.-led coalition. I'm being told... It would not be appropriate to say Mamma Mia at this time. After joining up with Al-Qaeda, ISIS continued attacks on civilians, Iraqi government forces, foreign diplomats, and American convoys. They later formed a jihadi supergroup called the Mujahideen Shura Council with other Sunni insurgent groups. Their general goal was to expel the Americans, fuck the Shia up, and create a caliphate, which is basically a religious kingdom of yore. The U.S. ended up killing al-Zarqawi in an airstrike in 2006, and he was succeeded by Abu Ayyub al-Mazri. They did another merger with Sunni sectarian groups to create the Mutayyibin coalition in October of that same year. Now, at the time, they pledged to, quote, rid Sunnis from the oppression of the rejectionists, uh, which refers to the Shia Muslims, and the crusader occupiers to restore rights even at the price of our own lives, to make Allah's word supreme in the world, and to restore the glory of Islam. Cool. <laughs> Just a cool group. Fun. Now, a small reminder that if you think this represents Islam, then you better also think that the Westboro Baptist Church represents Christianity in the bombed-out United States when they join with Jerry Falwell's evangelical forces and Neon Revolt's QAnon militia to create a Christian kingdom in America. Now, that's a movie yeah. I want to see. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty cool. Anyways, ISIS declared the establishment of an Islamic <laughs> state of Iraq comprising six majority Sunni Arab governorates, and they named Abu Omar al-Baghdadi their emir, or king. Al-Mazri became their minister of war, and they established a 10-person cabinet, which I imagine gathering around a table like the vampires in Blade. <laughs> but then the USA did a big boy surge under General Petraeus, who looks vaguely like Beto O'Rourke, and would later say, quote, the surge that mattered most was the surge of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> I mean, it was, sorry, I continuing the quote. It was the change of strategy, and in many respects, this represented quite a significant change to what it was we were doing prior to the surge, which is ironic since we've reviewed U.S. tactics during the invasion. He was top brass at the time, and anybody with half a brain could have told you that cutting loose half a million trained soldiers overnight was a very, very stupid idea. Anyway, sending more troops to kill the insurgents did end up killing a lot of them. And by 2008, ISIS described itself as being in a state of, quote, extraordinary crisis, which is the same thing our listeners say in Discord when they're waiting for an episode to drop. By 2010, U.S. General Odierno reported that 80% of ISIS, still known by many as al-Qaeda in Iraq, had been captured or killed. 
In the same year, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was crowned the new leader, and he appointed former Iraqi military and intelligence officers to positions of power, refreshing ISIS with many people the U.S. had once housed in the infamous Camp Bukha. A former colonel called Samir Abd Muhammad al-Khlifawi was one of these, and he would be a key player in rebuilding the organization. <laughs> it doesn't bode well. <laughs> in 2012, al-Baghdadi released a cool MP3 announcing that ISIS was returning to former strongholds in an operation called Breaking the Walls, which saw them take over prisons and free a lot of the jailed fighters. By July 2013, fatalities in Iraq had climbed back up to 1,000 a month, which was the highest body count since 2008. Meanwhile, in Syria, protests against Bashar al-Assad were picking up, and ISIS seized the opportunity, forming the al-Nusra Front, with bases in the Raqqa, Idlib, Deir Ezzor, and Aleppo provinces, which were majority Sunni. They rode the anti-Assad sentiment to a position of power, taking advantage of a population that was being oppressed. After some weird corporate merger bullshit, al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, and the Islamic State of Iraq got into a tussle that led to al-Qaeda disavowing ISIS in 2014. Aww. Meanwhile, in Iraq, ISIS captured most of Fallujah and all of Mosul during that year, bolstered by the 500-plus prisoners they had broken out of Iraqi jails the year prior. They also carried out the Sinjar massacre, which involved the genocidal murder and abduction of thousands of Yazidi men in the Iraqi district of Sinjar. ISIS wanted the Kurds out of the area, aiming to replace them with people subservient to their power. 50,000 Yazidis fled the area, assisted by the PKK and the YPG, which we will touch on more during the interview segment. The Kurdish Peshmerga, PKK, and YPG forces then attacked the ISIS stronghold in Sinjar with the help of U.S. airstrikes. They broke the transport and supply lines for the ISIS fighters, but the fighting continues to this day. Turkey has been heavily involved in those conflicts, often directly opposing the PKK and the YPG, while also funding militias that further their goals, some of these being al-Qaeda and or ISIS-aligned. Turkey is accused of being a funnel through which potential recruits travel legally on their way to Syria and Iraq. We're talking, of course, about the uh, administration, not the Turkish people. Uh, I'm not trying to, to make this about anybody's nationality. 2014 was also the year that ISIS declared themselves a worldwide caliphate, woo, and renamed themselves IS, or Islamic State. This meant they believed to have authority over all Muslims in the world. This is a bit like a child declaring itself king alone in its bedroom. A child with a whole pile of weapons and the belief that dying in battle is a noble and wonderful thing. Their caliph was Amir al-Muminin, aka Caliph Ibrahim. Governments and Muslim leaders everywhere rejected ISIS and their claims to represent Islam. That year, ISIS recruited 6,300 people, and a guy called Isnilon Totoni Hapilon swore allegiance to them all the way from the Philippines. Shittiest cover band ever. <laughs> ISIS also started kidnapping people for ransom and pumping out videos to recruit globally. The years that followed included expansions and advances in Libya, Egypt, Yemen, and Afghanistan. It also included Boko Haram pledging allegiance to ISIS, giving them a presence in Nigeria, Niger, Chad, and Cameroon. Chad? <laughs> yes, the hanging chad. In Uzbekistan, uh, some other assholes swore allegiance to them as well. Anyways, uh, in June 2015, a now very alarmed USA claimed that it killed 10,000 ISIS fighters in airstrikes during the nine-month period that preceded. Their sudden international success led to a lot of pushback, which saw them losing control of multiple Iraqi cities. In 2017, Vladimir Putin declared victory over ISIS in Syria. Little bit preemptive there. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani did the same about his own country, and ditto for Iraqi Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi. 
All of them were wrong, of course. Uh, it was true that ISIS had been losing a lot of territory, but the ideology, roots, leadership, and even sleeper cell networks still persisted. In 2018, Donald Trump declared victory over ISIS. We will touch on that and expand on a few things I've mentioned so far uh, during our interview with conflict journalist Jake Hanrahan. Now, I'm going to be honest here. It is fucking difficult to figure all this shit out, mostly due to the hidden funding that goes from various governments carrying out proxy wars in the Middle East, but also because many of the fighting forces are sectarian militias with their own dramas. As you saw, the constant renaming and reshaping of ISIS makes it hard to track the group accurately. Their recruitment efforts are multi-pronged and often decentralized, funneling fighters from all over the world into their ranks. Oppressed people who have lost loved ones, angry young men with no local opportunities, and straight-up abductions all swell the ranks of militant jihadi groups. Their simplified vision of the world has proven to be very attractive, as we saw with the groups in other countries pledging allegiance to ISIS. The communications era has created the capacity for global coordination, and instead of seeing a global union of workers, something the wealthy elites in all countries have no interest in, we've seen the spread of the worst kind of extreme ideologies. This is something more comfortable for the elites, who would rather be bombing extremists than union members. For now. Uh, people being recruited into ISIS come from, and this is in descending uh, order, Tunisia, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Jordan, Morocco, France, Lebanon, Turkey, Libya, Germany, the UK, Uzbekistan, and Pakistan, among plenty of others. What is so extremely difficult in this case is the de-radicalization of jihadists, which should probably be the focus of more governments looking to stem the tides of violence. Many Western governments simply refuse to take back their ISIS-affiliated citizens, which sometimes leads to a vicious circle of catch and release. Now, this has done little to stop the increase of jihadi attacks in a variety of countries, including the Western ones. Anyways, that's it, boys. That's the apple of my eye, sis. You're welcome. <laughs> I know I'm going to be pulled off stage for that pun. Yeah, with a fucking cane. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just your glasses will be left. I didn't really realize until I did the research that it essentially was Al-Qaeda and then kind of broke away and then they right. had like weird internal struggles and they disagreed about a few things. Yeah, I remember there was, there was some shit going around where Al-Qaeda was basically like, these guys are too hardcore for us. Not, like, not even, yeah. It wasn't even about like what they were doing. It was more power struggle shit. One part of ISIS pissed off a part of Al-Qaeda because... They declared a shift in their structure, and they hadn't warned them, right. and so they got pissed. And then it, there was like internal struggles for. So it's just it's infra it's yeah. infrastructure arguments, like right. like any startup. Oh, right. it's just mod bullshit. It's mod, yeah, it's yeah, just it's, drama. It, yeah, it's mod yeah. mod bullshit. It's mod drama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pinned, a lot of pinned posts. <laughs> yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, auto mods uh, stepping in to to regulate. I know that the people uh, in Discord that I've given even a modicum of power to are planning to break away from our Al Qaeda and form their ISIS. Right. I know yeah. it. You're on watch. You're being surveilled. I remember probably like six months ago there was a bunch of articles that came out talking about how ISIS was and terrorist cells in general. Um, we're using PlayStation 4 chat and Xbox Live chat to like plan attacks and stuff because if, for whatever reason, those comms passageways are not monitored by any sort of major intelligence service. Perfect. Which is, Almost which is really immediately, this was the only thing you remembered about ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Wait, which consoles are they out oh, on? Oh, man. I are, they not, are they not cross play? Are they not cross play? I remember a lot. I, I was like, I'm like one of those like weird, like bad. 
people that like watch some of the video just out of like a morbid curiosity, like watch uh, some of like the execution yeah, videos yeah, yeah, because yeah, because videos. there was a lot of like counter there was like a lot of counter narratives basically saying that like these were faked that um essentially ISIS would like hadn't really killed anybody that they were these were kind of produced like a low budget you know Hollywood B movie or whatever Th- that is some fucking we did not land on the moon shit Does but have you seen the Steven Spielberg directed beheading video. That's the that's the best one. What? It's much better than the Aaron Sorkin one, which Jump. although it has snappy dialogue and everybody walks down the hallway very brusquely, it just didn't end well. I found that the Spielberg one was a little bit oversaturated. Yeah. He likes it's to a use bit sentimental. This, he likes right. to use this kind of overexposed camera yeah. lens that gives everything this kind of like white angelic glow. And Not I felt as good like, as a, a I, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, I felt like the themes didn't really track uh, given the subject matter yeah. also, that they were showing. I'm sorry, but I just can't. I can't get emotionally invested in a short film. I just need, please, guys, at least an you hour and fifteen character. minutes. You, you want build some up character to the development, yeah, for exactly. Yeah, there was a lot of great shit, like like OG QAnon shit, where people were analyzing the videos and saying that like the the master executioner or whatever, like actually based on his accent and based on like the small tiny piece of his skin that they could see under like the hood was or John whatever, Podesta was John Podesta, <laughs> no, friend of the show and come no, eating freak. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show, come eating freak. No, no, allegedly, allegedly, John Podesta is only allegedly friend of the show. No, they said that he was like this British. That they they had done like a bunch of analysts and 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 said that he wasn't even you know of Middle Eastern descent at all. That he was like this British guy. And do you remember that shit when it was coming around, Travis? Vaguely, by analysts, do you mean redditors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember, like, some of the original... Maybe we'll do another premium episode about, like, the original, like, snuff films that first showed up on YouTube, like The Unknown Soldier. Do you guys remember that one? Note, we will not be doing an episode about snuff films. I'm not an expert in snuff films, so I can't say that. We will not be covering movies in which people get killed. I don't do that shit anymore. I... uh, You mean you don't make those movies, or...? No, no, no. I don't... I don't seek them out. Yeah. Well, uh... I'm too old. I'm too old for that shit. It's, it's, what people don't know is there's that Jake, too much of a price. Jake was actually the protagonist, and uh, and what I mean is like kind of the subject of a of a beheading video. No, I wasn't. But the amount of fast food that he eats uh, made his neck literally just bounce the guillotine right off. <laughs> right. And yeah. so he's I'm, alive today right. because of McDonald's. We are here with Jake Hanrahan, journalist and filmmaker with a focus on irregular warfare, and he's also the founder of Popular Front a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hello, mate. Thanks for having me. So first off, can you tell us a bit about you know what you do and the conflicts you've covered? I am an independent journalist and documentary filmmaker, you could say. I've been covering war and conflict for about four or five years now, I'd say five. Actually, no, probably five going on six now. And yeah, I've, I did, I'm probably best known for my work covering um, the fighting in Southeast Turkey between Kurdish militants, the PKK, and, you know, the Turkish state. Also, I've uh, done work in Iraq, uh, Palestine, Israel, Kosovo, Northern Ireland, all over the shop, man. All the safe places, you just, you seek them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the holiday destinations, you know. <laughs> cool. So, you know, as you probably know, ISIS is the topic of this episode or ISIL or, or Daesh or whatever you want to call them. I, I call them ISIS, man. I fucking hate that. Like ISIS, ISIL, Daesh, like 
I just say ISIS, man. It's what, what, one of the one of the most hilarious situations I think around the whole ISIS situation was just like the press not being able to all come up with one fucking name and just say, <laughs> let's call them this. So-called Islamic State group. Like, Jesus Christ, just call them ISIS, you know? Yeah, ISIS, I think, stuck around because it's, uh, you know, already a name or whatever. The rest were kind of more confusing. Well, yeah, like it's um, the Islamic State of Iraq and Al-Sham, Al-Sham being Syria. And it's like people are like, oh, no, we can't call it the Islamic State because then it looks like we're actually giving legitimacy to it. Like, no, it doesn't. You don't, you don't go like, oh, don't call them the IRA because then people will think they're the real Republican army. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When they were launched, though, they were called Jamal al-Tawid wal-Jihad. Cool. Not as catchy. Yeah, it didn't stick. Organization of Monotheism <laughs> and Jihad is the translation. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's nearly as good as Boko Haram. They're like, our, our only issue is that there's one God. Uh, the rest is just icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, what would you say is currently ISIS's role uh, in geopolitics? Um, well, as, as a ground force, ISIS doesn't really exist anymore. For example, right now in Deir Ezzor, um, very last pockets areas in, uh, in Syria, um, small little villages called Susa and an area called Hajin is where ISIS is now as a ground force. I think they literally hold two villages right now. The YPG or the, the coalition of YPG, um, so like the Kurdish militants and then the other fighters, so Arab locals and whatever, they have a, a coalition called the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, backed by America. Um, for the moment, anyway, they're about to abandon them. But anyway, they've been fighting uh, ISIS basically since day one. And yeah, right now, um, ISIS has been chased out of all of their, their kind of big areas. Raqqa fell, we all know that. And right now, they're just holding on to two tiny villages. Um, so as a ground force, they're about to be over, you know, like they're nearly done. But geopolitically, I think the situation will get bigger in the way that ISIS is still around. The ideology, you can't get rid of it. It's like Nazism, you know, it just, it won't go because the ground force is gone. You know, you're never going to get rid of that ideology. And right now in Libya, for example, like ISIS is holds quite a lot of ground there. The Philippines, they have a branch of ISIS. You know what I mean? It's spread all over the place and the tentacles are kind of start reaching into all different countries, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially just an extreme version of one of the world's biggest religions. So hard to, to get rid of people that are that angry, especially if like the social situations that are creating the will to just fucking leave and go join people who decapitate people. Yeah, I, I know. Like that. that is... <sighs> How do you combat that? You know, oh, it, like anyone that went to join ISIS post um, like 2015, they have no excuse. They can't say, oh, we didn't know what they were like. It's like, no, nah, you knew what they were doing. They were beheading people. Yeah, you probably saw the videos and then joined. Exactly. Like, but not only did they make the videos, they're basking in violence. You know what I mean? Like, they absolutely loved it. Like, I've watched most of their horrific videos just for work purposes, you know, and I don't know, it's almost like comic book violence, but it's real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost unbelievable what they do, you know, like burning people alive, drowning them, like literally putting GoPros underneath the cages to watch them drown. Like, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Like, I don't think we've seen anything like that other than Mexican cartels, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's weird because at least with the cartels, you have a sense that um, they're, they're getting wealthy at least, but yeah, exactly. a lot of the time with ISIS, like they're fucked from the start. They have every major military against them and they're just trying to fight for territory, but they bring so much attention to themselves with these videos and stuff that do they not care if they survive? You know, what's the end game? <sighs> I'm... 
I honestly, that is a good question. And honestly, I don't know. Like, I wonder that myself. Like, I, I tell you what, when I was in Iraq in 2015, we spoke to um, an imprisoned ISIS fighter. Uh, we spoke to two. Um, and I, I spoke to, like, this one guy was like a farmer, very, like, low ed level of education. And he kind of said, I joined because my brother-in-law turned up and just said, like, you know, this is the new thing now. If you don't join, we'll cut your fucking head off. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he kind of had a forced recruitment. I love it when my older brother's like, hey, here's a cool band. Also, I'm going to decapitate you unless you join my extremist yeah. group. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this is the new in thing, you know? Like, if you don't join, your head's going. But he, he was, I felt bad for him. He was genuinely like, I don't know. I just joined, whatever. They gave me more money than whatever. And he actually, like, tried to get out and the Peshmerga, the the forces in, in northern Iraq caught him and arrested him but then there was another guy we spoke to um, and he ran uh, like the media wing of the Nineveh kind of cell of ISIS and he'd been caught and even there as he sat in jail I remember he said something like uh, like we'll take over we will rule the world you know and he literally believed it like you could see in his face like yeah it's coming we you know so these guys it's, it's pure brainwashing, you know, like, and, and you can kind of understand, I think, if you're on the ground there and you see the incredible gains they made so swiftly, for example, when they took Mosul in like two days or whatever it was, just turned up, the military ran off, you know, and, and, and they just come take all the all the um, weapons, you know, break people out of jail, rob the bank. And you can imagine there's thousands, tens of thousands of these guys running wild around the Middle East at the time, you know, when they were at their height. It must have felt like, wow, we're unstoppable. You know, we're, we're going to take everything. Thank fuck now they're on their last legs as a fighting force. But I don't want to say like it's a modern phenomenon. Like we've always had jihad and we, you know, militant jihad and we always will. But yeah, ISIS is just, I, I don't know, it's like... Um, what is it you you guys say like in America and that you guys said, oh, it's this on steroids, you know, like ISIS is like militant jihad on steroids, you know what I'm saying? It sounds like some of the people who get involved, they get involved for money or what, like it's just kind of like an immediate solution and they get sucked in for, for one reason or another. But there, there must be somebody um, profiting from making sure these young men continue to join and, you know, that these conflicts continue. Um, people who won't in the end get killed right the leaders i guess they kind of benefit from it i mean financially isis are absolutely rolling in cash you know what i mean so there is that but it's not i don't know it's it's they're very good uh bookkeeping and they're they're literally businessmen to, to some degree right um so there's definitely a lot of people getting wealthy off the back of it but I think the the main benefit from them for them just bringing all these young men in and keep bringing them, especially foreign fighters, is just the terror. You know, the spread of terror. Like we'll get your boys, and your boys will join us, and then we're going to come back and we'll kill you. You know, it's the the perfect concoction. And uh, you were saying they're rolling in money. I mean, where where the hell is this money coming from? Oh man, they've looted everything. You know, oil. They, they were selling oil when they had their um. You know, when they had certain areas that had oil. Right. Um. There are very many front businesses all over the world that you know funnel money back to them he might meet like a guy you think is completely normal and he might have sympathies to isis and he might run like i don't know uh, a shoe shop in germany and he might be funneling money off to them you know what i mean uh, it's 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 a big business for them let's be a little less serious for a second i want to run a couple of beliefs that kind of have flared up in the QAnon community based on these drops that this you know uh, anonymous poster q has been made, um, yes. and you can just tell me. I love all this Q stuff, man. Yeah, it's it's um it's wonderful stuff, and um, you can just tell me what you think of these different statements. <laughs> you hit me. Got, okay, so QAnon belief number one: 
Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton purposely expanded ISIS to undermine America. <laughs> Why? <laughs> For what reason? Uh, I think their logic here is that Barack Obama is a Muslim. Well, he's not. And so he's connected to the, <laughs> to the Muslim brotherhood. Okay. And then the Hillary Clinton thing is just like, I don't know, man. Right. I, they just think she's making money off almost I everything. Mean... <laughs> It's just like, do you know how much money America has dumped into northeastern Syria to, like, you know, set up bases and fight ISIS? It'd be, it'd be like the worst business investment ever. Let's fucking ruin everything uh, and then put more money into fighting it. Like, what? It doesn't even make any sense. And why do they want to undermine America? Because they hate America? Yeah, of course. They're American and they're leading America. But yeah, okay. no, it's, it's, it is... Uh, because because Obama's name... Essentially, QAnon is like, it's a mirror of reality. Right. But I think their logic there is like, they, they go, okay, Obama had eight years and like ISIS was still there at the end, right? I mean, for them in, in news, right? Because they, they don't really see the actual regional conflicts. They don't really pay attention to anything specific. Right. But they're like, no, ISIS was there for all those eight years. So clearly he wasn't trying to get rid of them. Because then Trump came along and this is the second belief... Donald Trump has eliminated ISIS. Okay, right. Uh, Donald Trump. Okay, well, that, well, let me let me say one thing first. Obama's policy towards Syria was absolutely appalling, and he could have ended ISIS. Actually, he could have. He could have done a lot more. You know, he kept going. Well, to be honest, the the, the reason he kind of left the um, Assad and the regime to just kind of run riot, gas people, and kill everybody was a reason that you know ISIS was allowed to kind of spread. Now, I don't think that's because Obama wants to undermine America because he's secretly a jihadist. He just had very bad policy um, in terms of Syria because, you know, a lot of presidents obviously are very flawed. Now, the idea that Trump has defeated ISIS, like he said, what, two, three weeks ago? Oh, yeah, you know, we've defeated them. A fucking last week, four Americans were killed when uh, an ISIS suicide bomb went off in Mambij. Now, Mambij is like the most meant to be probably one of the most safest areas in northeastern Syria because you have all these patrols. There were like French patrols. Um, the Turks were around there somewhere, which, right. you know, whatever. They're, they're still NATO. Uh, and then the Americans have got patrols and then a fucking suicide bomber like killed some people in the restaurant. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not gone at all. What, what the fuck? How did Trump, what did Trump do? What are they even talking about? Like, how how did he defeat them? Yeah, unclear. <laughs> unclear, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they don't know what, like, if you told them that the Kurds are involved, they'd be like, who who are the Kurds? What's a Kurd? Yeah, well, there was a while when, like, the Kurds loved Trump because he, um, not, I hate that term, the Kurds, like, there were Kurds there, but the, the YPG, the right. People's Protection Units, the, the Kurdish forces in northern Syria, they loved him for a bit because he actually did, I think he was the first guy to say, yeah, send them heavy weapons or whatever. I could be wrong on that, I forget, but obviously now he's just completely abandoned them. Like, he's had this deal with Erdogan, um, in Turkey, you know, which is whatever, like I understand like diplomatic, this, that and the other, but he, he has very much abandoned them, you know, he's used them, or at least America has used the, the YPG to fight ISIS. I mean, they've been fighting ISIS way, way far out of their historical ground, you know, like Raqqa is, is historically nothing to do with Kurdistan particularly. So they had no need to do that, but they did that and they fought and now Americans like, see ya, you know what I mean? Yeah. Have fun, like thanks for the death of ISIS, but now we're gone, you know, so. Yeah. But no, like now is a bad time to pull out because, you know, we're just seeing the YPG finish off ISIS uh, as a ground force. And there's so much more work to do. Sleeper cells, you know, all of that stuff. So it's just, it's just they're going to come back. Absolutely. Definitely. I, I think within the next six months, we'll see 
again, a rise of even a ground force, probably. We'll talk a little bit about those sleeper cells later. Uh, but before that, I think this is probably my favorite QAnon belief. Yeah, I love these. I love these. Go on. ISIS fighters were hiding in the, quote, caravan alongside MS-13 members. What, on the border with uh, Mexico? Yep. What, Mexico, that famous country that has a big problem with militant jihad? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I saw something, actually. I saw this guy was like, we found a prayer mat, so ISIS is coming. It was like, okay. <laughs> like, I saw a picture and it was like, that's that's literally just anything. That's a blanket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it wasn't a prayer mat. Oh, that Jesus was confirmed Christ. to not be a prayer mat. Also, the source wouldn't reveal her identity and it was like some crazy rancher. Also, like, what the fuck? Like, do you think ISIS are going to go? How, what? They, what do they do? They flew to Mexico rather yep. than just, you know, get um, homemade jihad happening in, in America, which they could quite easily do through, like, online indoctrination and the amount of fucking guns in America. They could easily get someone to go and do some madness. But instead, they flew to mm -hmm. Mexico from where? Syria? <laughs> and then they, now they're trying to get through the yeah. border. And then what they... Like, they get through that, what? that hyper-porous border, that easy-to-cross oh, border. Man. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, whatever. <laughs> you know, as if MS-13 yeah, yeah. wasn't a big enough threat. Like, shouldn't you be worried? Like, actually, some cartels might actually get through the border. That's a possible situation. Nah, ISIS. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, they just like to throw it around. Yeah. Well, there you go. The fourth belief is a little trickier. They think John McCain met with ISIS leaders and collaborated with them. This is based on a photo. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. And actually, one of the guys in the photo is just like on Twitter. <laughs> so he's just like, no, I, I didn't. I'm not ISIS. There's, there's a photo. I've seen this photo. I've actually seen this. This is quite an old conspiracy theory. I, 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 I've been spending years on conspiracy forums, especially as a teenager. Like, I love all that stuff. But I don't believe it. I just, it's like fiction to me. I, it, it entertains me. And um, one of the guys that like, oh, this is al-Baghdadi. And even when you look at the picture side by side, it's like it's absolutely not him. I think what it is, they're like Arab. Arab, yeah. Baghdadi, you know what I mean? And that's it. They've they got no fucking logic to it. Like, the idea that McCain met someone uh, in the Middle East, oh, and surprise, they were Arabs. You know what I mean? Oh, it's Baghdadi. It's fucking madness, man. Oh, we're four beliefs in, and uh, Jake is furious. It's just it's just uh, hilarious. Like, QAnon <laughs> is honestly yeah. the most insane. I've seen a lot of conspiracy shit, you know, like, but they, this is the mad... Mm -hmm. I, I've been subscribing. Before I came on here, I started subscribing onto all of these channels on YouTube. And... Um, it's just amazing. Like, it's actually amazing that, I don't know, I kind of feel bad. Like, I don't want to, uh, you know, when some things you're like, some conspiracy theories, like, oh, man, I get it. Like, people are trying to find something to believe in and it's interesting. But but QAnon, it's just like, you're fucking bananas. Like, boomers found it on 4chan. Like, you couldn't make this up, you know? You could not make this up. Yeah. If you made it up, I'd be like, mate, like, that's fucking stupid. Like, there's no way that would happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it continues to be unbelievable and amazing. I mean... <laughs> It, oh, yeah, it blows our mind all the time. Uh, but now we're now that we're done with that that nonsense. Uh, let's dig into some more relevant questions. Sure. So you you mentioned uh, the Syrian Democratic Forces. So this, yeah. this is a, a coalition, mm -hmm. uh, a local coalition, and you're saying that they are led by the YPG. That's correct. Yeah. Who are the YPG exactly, and and um, how did the, those uh, Syrian Democratic Forces form? Okay. Yeah. Sure. So the YPG um, in Kurdish, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it, but basically it stands in English. It's um, the People's Protection Units. They started. So in, in uh, I think, 2013, so when, you know, ISIS, well, well when the revolution started to happen in, um, in Syria, 
they kind of saw this this chance. They were like, right, this this northeastern Syria is historically Kurdistan, you know, Rajaba they call it. That's their area, and they they'd come under a lot of oppression from the Syrian government, and they just saw it like this is our time. We need to start carving out this niche for ourselves. Now the YPG definitely is made up, um, at least at the start by members of the PKK, which is a designated terror group, um, been fighting for over 40 years now in Southeast Turkey, because, you know, as you know, Kurdistan is spread out over different countries that don't have their own country. Now, there's a lot of disinformation about the PKK. Um, I've done, a, you know, I've filmed with them quite a few times. There's this idea they're like, uh, they're Maoists and they're like hardcore communists. They certainly used to be communists. And then the, their leader, who's in jail now, he like refined the ideology. And now I think you could consider them like, maybe, uh, I don't know, like anarcho-libertarian to agree, like maybe left-leaning, definitely left-leaning like libertarians. Certainly there are like communists in them, but they're not like Marxist-Leninists um, or anything like that. Um, not that those guys don't exist within the makeup, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's it, First and foremost, it's like a leftist Kurdish movement fighting for, you know, autonomy and rights. So that so the YPG formed off the back of like all these fighters who were in Southeast Turkey who had years of experience and kind of went over the border and were like, right, we need to set up the YPG because, you know, we're going to have this chance to carve out more land for ourselves. So they start fighting and ISIS rose up and basically they proved to be the best fighting force on the ground for America to ally with because, you know, the the we hear about the moderate rebels. Now, there were moderate rebels. There were, you know, very brave men um, that fought against Bashar al-Assad, the, you know, the, the dictator of Syria. But, you know, that is gone. The revolution is over and they're, to be honest, like rebels. It's Right now it's kind of jihadists. Um, and then you get a lot of, you get a lot of journalists make like apologists kind of, oh no, these guys are like, I hear people calling Hayat Tahir al-Sham, like, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda linked group rebels. Just because they're rebelling against the government doesn't make them rebels, they're jihadists, you know what I'm saying? So the YPG kind of proved to be, you know, secular, um, you know, chill, whatever. They're not going to cut your head off when you're fucking sleeping. You know what I mean? You're going to be okay. Um, generally, if you're with them, you don't have to, you know, women don't have to cover their heads. You know, there's no um, Muslim extremism within the YPG. So that obviously for America is like, right, let's let's kind of hang out with these guys. So off the back of that, they um, trained them and armed them and the SDF was formed, um, which like you said, the Syrian Democratic Forces. So what happened there was obviously, you know, the Kurds are in Northeast Syria, but there's loads of other, you know, religions and ethnic ethnic um, backgrounds. So you have Assyrians, Syriacs, Chaldeans, Arabs, everyone is around there. So when they formed the SDF, it's like, right, let's get everybody together and say, hey, like we are the YPG, we're leading this. Um, and to some degree, the YPG can be a bit authoritarian, certainly in their history. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend they're, they're angels. They're definitely not. But, you know, but they kind of formed this coalition and said, right, you know, let's all come together and fight ISIS, basically. Um, so with the help of America, they did that. So now, for example, in Deir Ezzor, which is nowhere near historical Kurdistan in the, in the northeast, they have all these local Arab tribes fighting under the wing of the SDF. For what it's worth, I think that it was a great project because the Rojava project as well, like what the Kurds believe in, like um, they call it democratic confederalism. It's, it's, a, it's a cool concept, kind of like autonomous, um, you know, governing, uh, governing of yourself within each kind of community. But like, you know, now it's going to all fall apart, I think, because now there's this situation with, um, you know, Trump's just kind of said, see ya. So I think it's all going to sadly fall apart now. You mentioned the U.S. pullout. Do you want to expand on like how that is going to change the situation in Syria? So northeastern Syria borders southeast Turkey, right? So the, the PKK have been fighting, killing, you know, running this kind of guerrilla insurgency for like 40 years in southeast Turkey. 
Uh, I think there's something like what is it like fifty thousand people have been killed now um, in that in that amount of time. Um, so obviously Turkey absolutely hates the PKK and they consider the YPG exactly the same as the PKK, which to some degree is kind of understandable. You know, like you've got um, the definitely they, they support the same leader. They support the exact same ideology and basically were created by the PKK. Now, people will dispute that. Good luck. <laughs> you know, I've been on the border. I've seen it. It's it's the same group. You know what I'm saying? Um, but certainly it's evolved into something much bigger. Um, so to, to say that the guys fighting in, in northeast Syria are exactly the same as the, the guerrillas fighting in southeast Turkey is, is actually not accurate, you know. But I understand the situation. So Turkey now has free reign to just go over the border and kill everybody. So last year, a year ago, actually, in January, um, they invaded a town called Afrin in, in northeastern Syria. So the, the Turkish armed forces went in and um, with the help of... Well, they call them, people say, oh, it's FSA. The Free Syrian Army is long gone. So what they, what happened was there were just random rebels left over, you know, so-called rebels. So basically bandits. So Turkey backed a load of these bandits. They went into Afrin. And you don't have to take my word for that. People people know, people say, oh, Jake, Jake loves the YPG's bias. Say, say what you want. Say what the fuck you want. Go and see for yourself. Like what they did was as soon as they went into Afrin, which was a relatively untouched area um, in northern, northeastern Syria, um, like luckily it had just been protected this whole time. Now they were openly looting everybody's houses. There's been um, enforced uh, prostitution rings. There's been infighting in between the groups. It's just ridiculous. So if, if you look at what happened in Afrin, basically, to cut a long story short, that will happen all over northeast Syria if and when America just, just pulls out, you know. And I get it, you guys, you don't want American troops there, but it's like you've put all this effort in, you've poured all this money in, you have a reliable partner on the ground who are not trying to kill you, who don't hate America, and then all of a sudden you just go, well, thanks for fighting ISIS for us, now we're off. It's just, you know, it's basically ruined... Um, in my opinion, has ruined any trust in the Middle East that America managed to claw back. Uh, and that's been completely destroyed. Yeah, they're very good at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, the, you know, the Kurds have this saying, oh, no friends but the mountains. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, come on, like America's helping you, you get this, you get that. And like loads of people support you all over the world. But I get it. Like, yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> you know, they, they shouldn't have been shocked. And I don't think they were shocked. The YPG knew America were going to abandon them. But I don't think anyone thought it would be as, as rapid as it was. I mean, you saw it yourself, like, you know, Brett McGurk and Mattis resigned and all of this stuff because they were just like, what the fuck? Basically, Trump got on the phone with the president of Turkey and then just came off and was like, tweet, you know what I mean? Like, the, I know guys in the YPG, they're like, yeah, we found out via Twitter. Like, that's insane, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's that's... just it's just madness for, for, you know, and I'm not one of these like, um, hashtag resistance, you know, like good luck with that. But uh, I just think it, it just to, to act like that as the leader of like the strongest military force on earth is just fucking bananas, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So recently you recorded a, a podcast talking about the fleeing ISIS fighters in Syria and you, yeah. you mentioned sleeper cells. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so that was um, an episode on Popular Front with um, my friend uh, Maya Jabali. She's a really good reporter. Um, she was in Syria for a long time. And basically, she found this network where... So ISIS fighters, you know, as their ground vanished and started to be eaten up by the SDF and the Americans and, and you know, whoever, they kind of started to flee. And, you know, they'd shave off their beard and they'd try and sink away into the um, the people that are fleeing, you know, people trying to get away, like actual IDPs um, or refugees, if you like, within the country. So they're trying to get away and these ISIS guys would basically just try and slip out 
all the civilians in, in Syria had this massive like network of WhatsApp groups where they would share images. You know, like right. I remember this guy, he was in my village, he turned ISIS, he burnt my house down. And then a guy, you know, he might be a thousand miles away. And then a guy in a checkpoint would also be in this massive WhatsApp group. And they go, hey, we've got this guy, he's suspect. Does anybody recognize this guy's face? And then guys will be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's Jamal or whatever who joined ISIS and he's, he's fleeing. So they caught him like that. So the reason they're fleeing is either they're giving up or like you just said, they're moving away to start sleeper cells. Now, a few sleeper cells have um, kind of cropped up. I think about, mm, I don't know, like four or five months ago in Raqqa, um, you know, their former capital of the so-called caliphate, all of a sudden one day, they, this fucking black ISIS flag just goes up after they were supposedly defeated. Wait, you're telling me, you're telling me that a sleeper cell yeah. put up a flag? Yeah, 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 I know, right, dumb, huh? <laughs> but um, it was, I think it was just this idea, I think there was like four or five of them, and they just, they just whacked this flag up. The footage is quite, it's kind of mad. You just see some guys on a rooftop, like, all shouting, like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, there they are, and they start shooting at them, um, if I remember oh correctly. Oh, my God. And yeah, so there's just, like, this ISIS flag, and it just goes to show you, even in Raqqa, they're there. There's sleeper cells all over the world, I think. And I, I read somewhere, like, I don't even want to say the percentage because I'll probably get it wrong. Bad with numbers, but there was a there's a massive percentage of ISIS fighters have returned to Europe, um, and you know a lot of them have kind of got away with it, if you like, or under the radar. And in my opinion, they're just biding their time or, or plotting. You know, they, there's going to be more attacks in Europe, definitely. Damn. Nice and cheery. <laughs> Sorry to leave you with that. I'm I'm glad for the information, but I hope I hope you're wrong. Yeah, me as well. Me as well. <laughs> definitely. How has ISIS used social media to spread propaganda, and how do they recruit people uh, to their cause, especially from all these these foreign countries? I'll say like, I am definitely not an expert on ISIS, and certainly never focused on them too heavily. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm aware of all this stuff because of my work in the Middle East. But um. I think first and foremost, when they were putting the videos out, that was the biggest draw. You know, they were putting out these incredibly well shot. And I, I'm not just saying that. They're, I've been looking at these videos sometimes, these horrific propaganda videos, and thinking like, that cameraman is fucking great. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Unfortunately, he's wasted his talents on being a murderous scumbag, but... That is excellent camera work. You know, some of, some of the footage, there's, honest to God, there's, there's, there's a fucking one called um, Fire of War or something like that, some stupid fucking title. Anyway, mm -hmm. Fire of War 1 and 2. And there's some footage on there. I'm like, I would love to have that guy with me shooting a documentary. You know what I mean? Like, it's that good. Yeah. And so they made these very slick... Um, I hate that word. Everyone always says that these slick productions, but you know what I mean? They were, they were very well polished. They looked good. You watched it, and if you're inclined to be... I don't know, a militant jihadist, you're going to go like, that's fucking cool. That's my group. You know what I'm saying? Right, it, we right, had right. That, that, very, that very kind of aesthetic vibe, you know, it just makes you go like, fuck yeah, yeah. Like I get these guys, yeah, I could, un I, well, it didn't make me think that, but, but you know what I mean? I can totally understand how it did make young lads just go like, right, that's the group to be with. So I think that was a massive draw. Um, and also they're always, they were always kind of um, recruiting via, they'd talk on Telegram apps and like stuff like that. So they would have big group chats and then they would kind of, feel, I've heard these stories where they'll filter people off, you know what I mean? Like who seems the most, I don't know, inclined to go towards jihad or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Right. So you would, you would get stuff like this. And then, yeah, and then a lot of it was just done via, I don't know, chats and stuff like that. Um, so you're saying like they get them in the group chat and then whoever's the kind of most extreme, they DM them, they slide into their DMs on the side and they're like, hey, by the way, would you like to have a ticket? And cut someone's head to, off. To uh, yeah. <laughs> come hang, hang, hang out with us? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot more complicated than that. But yeah, certainly that's how I've heard. Um, 
you know, they're like, maybe not always group chats, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but like networks of people, like, oh, have you spoken to this guy? He's in sham. Oh, what's he doing? Oh, oh just humanitarian work for, you know, he's he's making dua. And then, you know, oh, they'll talk to, oh, you should talk to him. And then before you know it, oh yeah, what are you doing? Oh, you should come out here. You know, you can do humanitarian work or, or like, if you want, you can fight. Oh, you fight? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're Mujahideen, we're on the front line. Like, oh, before you know it, they're talking and then like, oh, by the way, I'm with ISIS, you know what I mean? But by then it's kind of like, okay, it's, it's you're in, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, social media companies like Facebook claim that they've developed measures to combat how ISIS uses their platform. Mm. Do you think these efforts have made an impact? Um, I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, if you just, you just, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, you knock down one thing, another will pop up, you know? Right. Which is why I was really, actually, I just want to, uh, it's maybe not relevant, but I was really pissed off when all of these, like, fucking idiots were like, oh, let's get Gab shut down. No, I'm no fucking fan of Gab. I hate fascists, I hate Nazis, whatever, obvious. But it was the best way to track them. So, yeah, let's shut it down because it offends us. Don't fucking go on it then. You know what I mean? Like, oh, now you've shut it down. And I've been doing a lot of work tracking Nazis, um, like, specifically out of them. And Gab was one of the last places where they would kind of openly talk, you know what I mean? So you could kind of track them open source. So when that went down, it was like fucking brilliant. Nice one, lads. You've just fucked up my investigation. Um, so so again, with the, with the ISIS thing, I think that's kind of a, a similar situation for me. Now, I get it. Not everybody cares. Oh, poor journalist, whatever your investigation, like, fine, whatever. But if you want to stop these guys, sometimes I think the best way is to monitor them on the the place where they meet the most you know what i'm saying now that doesn't mean i'm saying yeah let isis post what they want like but i don't know i just think going oh god shut that down it's nothing to do with us is not the most effective way to to kind of stop this you know i think it's, it's just business interest isn't it oh shit it looks bad for us um let's close that down uh, and then that's you know then our business doesn't seem associated with it it's like there needs to be something else there there needs to be a bigger step um, to combat in it, you know what I mean? I just think just just knocking down the mold is just gonna pop back up somewhere else. And right. if the only reason you're stopping this shit is just because of your business interest, you don't really give a fuck anyway, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. I totally see your point of view. Um, there are others who argue for deplatforming or, to, or removing the areas where uh, recruitment happens mm. and that that limits yeah. the growth. But I can, I, can, I can definitely see both sides to this, not to sound like a both sides guy, but... No, no, no. I, I can as well. Like I, I'm, I'm completely against deplatforming almost, almost, almost in all aspects. I think it's a nonsense. But um, because what you do is you create little fiefdoms um, where people, you know, can then go and say like, right, you've deplatformed us from this, this um, mainstream whatever. And then, okay, well, then no one can argue with them because then they go into their little own fiefdom and then they all just start agreeing with each other because they're just talking to the, the converted. And then it just becomes worse. It creates more extremism, in my opinion. But I'm on both sides as well. I hate to be a both sides guy, but you get these fucking screaming um, so-called leftists, but in my opinion, they're just like baby neoliberals who are just like, oh, don't say this in our campus. Like, you're at uni, you fucking idiot. You're meant to have your, your views challenged. You know what I mean? So there is deplatforming in that level which i'm completely against but again it, i see the other side of it I, like if, if if i had it the way i'm thinking you would have baghdadi turning up at boston uni and yeah, going like right, hey right. maybe join the caliphate like obviously we can't have that you know what i mean <laughs> um but yeah it's a tricky one man and it's, it's actually really fascinating and, and quite an interesting debate it's one i've been like happy to be 
proven wrong and a lot of times you know what i mean like i've had debates with people and i've been like absolutely not this this and this and then someone will say something and i think oh yeah fuck yeah that's actually a good point i was wrong uh, but that even makes me more feel like well then deplatforming is not the way to go um as, as a blanket thing like like you said i think it has to come down to specific situations right. interesting case by case as they say yeah 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 so you know speaking of uh of people joining isis you know through these networks or whatever this month, it was reported that, you know, not the first one, but another American, a 34-year-old man from Houston, joined ISIS and then was captured in Syria. You know, what do you make of Americans who joined ISIS? Oh, this guy. Yeah, he's the guy that said, um, he literally said, I wanted to see what it was all about. Yes, who, <laughs> like, who amongst us? It's not a youth club, mate. Like, you don't join ISIS to see what it's about, you know? Yeah, I just wanted to check out the YMCA. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm bored, man. I might go and see what ISIS is saying, you know? Like, nah, you didn't do that, mate. Like, that was not what you did. You know what you did. You know why you went. Yeah. But what is, sorry, to answer your question, what do I think of Americans joining? Um... I don't know. I, I don't find it very, you know, I, I actually I understand why a lot of Europeans go because we have a big problem, whether people would admit it or not, with um, militant jihad infiltrating uh, mosques. In fact, a friend of mine, I remember about three years ago, a friend of mine, Marcus, that goes to this mosque said to me like, man, you know, he's a Muslim guy and he said, man, we're having fucking problems, man. Like there's some extremists starting to seep into our mosque. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and he was just like, we don't really know how to fucking combat it because you tell them like, no, go away. And then they'll start losing other people. And before you know it, he said it's kind of similar thing. What I'm saying is like, you can't keep an eye on the lads that end up leaving with them. You know what I mean? So it's a fucking weird one. Right. Um, so we have a problem with um, militant jihad, um, uh, and, and let me just point out as well, I'm not saying like, I'm not one of these like, oh, all Muslims are jihad. It's like, obviously not, it's nonsense. But you know what I'm saying? It, they're definitely seeping into mosques in Europe quite easily. Yeah. We, we don't really monitor it very well. Um, and, and, there, and then there's that. But in America, you guys, from what I've read, have a lot less of a problem. You know, like there's a, a lot of, you know, your Muslim population are very less likely to become inclined towards extremism than European, um, you know, populations, for example. I've read about this. And so I think, you know, you guys are, I, I think, you know, I think it goes to show how not extreme the Muslims of America are. The fact that you have guns everywhere and you've had, I think, one or maybe two ISIS attacks. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Yeah. In a know, huge country too. In a huge country, mate. We Look how many we've had like fucking two years ago. They're blowing up our children in fucking um, music venues. You know, these scumbags killing our kids and, and stabbing people. And, you know, not even with guns and that. They're, we don't even have guns and they're stabbing people up and ramming them with, with trucks. It's fucking insane. And we've got all that going on in Europe. And you guys have got all the guns and you have very few attacks. So I think that goes to show that actually the Muslim population in America are actually saying, fuck ISIS. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're yeah. not on that. So this, I, this stupid thing of like QAnon, and I know a lot of them people just conflate all uh, Muslims with, with jihadists. I would say this, understand the people fighting ISIS are fucking Muslims, you idiot. And without them, they wouldn't be, have been defeated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah, you do have these problems with militant jihadists. Um, but again, to go back to your point, um, yeah, like I don't know. I think it's I think it's a, more of an unusual situation with Americans going out there. Um, it's certainly really weird when you hear their voices actually on the um, on the videos. Like there's a few Americans and there's a Canadian recently. They captured him, and it does make you go, oh, oh shit. Especially from a British point of view, because you know I'm I'm used to hearing like kind of you know European jihadists or whatever. 
you know, we, we have them at Speaker's Corner every fucking weekend in London. Um, but but when you've got like Americans, in my head, it's like you think of fucking G.I. Joe and, you know, very much. When I hear an American voice on some kind of militant platform, you just think, oh, it's a Marine talking about, you know, defeating someone. So when you start hearing American accent on an ISIS video, for me, it was always like, oh, fucking hell. Like, that's a bit different. And I reckon for them, it was like the gold medal for ISIS to have like a yank to join. Because obviously they're, of course. you're their biggest enemy. You know what I mean? And speaking of, uh, you know, talking to or hearing ISIS fighters, you were sent to a Turkish jail uh, a few years back, and you were housed there with some ISIS fighters. Yeah. Can you tell me more about why you were jailed and, and uh, you know, just expand on that experience? Yeah, man. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was um, pretty shit. Like, it wasn't the best time. Um, but it was... A kind of confusion, I guess you could say. So what happened was I was, what was it, 2015. So I was, I was with uh, my, two, my two very close friends, um, Phil Pendlebury and Mohamed Rasul. And we were in Southeast Turkey reporting on the conflict between the PKK, and I mentioned them earlier, these militant um, Kurdish fighters, um, and they were fighting the Turkish government. Now, it was the youth thing we were, we were embedded with because they were starting basically a guerrilla insurgency in the cities and the urban areas of Southeast Turkey, which they'd never done before. It was always like fighting from the mountains and like, you know, in between roads and roadside bombs against all that. But these kids set up these barricades. It was a very badly ill thought out plan that they, they, they started up. And basically there was, you know, very, very brutal um, come down on that, you know, like loads of, loads of people died, kids were shot, all sorts of stuff. So there's all these, um, fighting going on between you know the Turkish government and the the PKK fighters we 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 weren't we weren't doing anything wrong let me say that we did nothing wrong we went there to report on the situation i yeah. am not like invested in in one group or the other it was just my beat you know i'd already reported with them once already and they were setting up you know like you could tell the war was going to come and then it came and then i was like right let's go back and we literally just fucking went to these areas and they were like oh we know you you know like we've seen your film before fine you can film so we're filming, trying to find out what's going on. There's these big clashes happening, you know, Turkish military firing into the town, the youth firing back, building bombs, whatever. And then we got arrested, basically. So we, we get arrested in um, a city called Diyarbakir. And yeah, the, the police arrested us. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is ridiculous. And they were like, yeah, you're, uh, you're charged with assisting ISIS which was like, uh, what? Like, which was really weird. What? Yeah, it was really weird because I've never, I've never even really done an ISIS story particularly. So that was a shock. And then they said, oh, well, you're also, you're also charged with like assisting PKK. And I was like, how can we be fighting for the same <laughs> thing as the PKK are fighting ISIS? <laughs> you know, so it's like, that's a very, yeah. very, two very weird organizations to be a part of. No, 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 you're smart. You have your, you have your finger in many pies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, um, equal, <laughs> playing both sides. equal opportunities, terrorism, you know. Um, but yeah, so it was ridiculous. So we got charged with terrorism and I was just like, this is madness. Like I've never picked up a gun. I've never fired a fucking shot in my life. Like I don't want to hurt anybody. None of us did. We just went to report the news and say, look, this is what's happening. But my style of journalism and I was working for Vice News at the time when it was good, um, which it isn't now in my opinion, but like it was, it was very embedded journalism. We were on the ground and we're, we're with the fighters. If we're going to find out what the fighters, why they're doing this, we're going to be with them 24 seven. We're going to, you know, walk around with them. We're going to be behind the barricades while they're firing and getting shot at. That's just, I like that style of journalism. I think it's very important. And I think there's a lot more merit in that rather than like looking at it from the outside and trying to analyze, like don't analyze it, go and find out what the fuck is going on, you know? 
So because of that and the, the deep research that I'd done on it, like I'd done so much research and all my notepads were like in the hotel and that, it just, for some reason they decided, right, you're trying to help this terrorist group. And I was like, fuck, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to film, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, so anyway, after that, we, uh, we, were, we were sent to four different prisons um turkish prisons you know not not the most fun you can have really but luckily i was with you know two of my very close friends we got through it and anyway so when we get deported they finally like they were saying you guys are going down for seven years and i was like oh fuck we're fucked and then we got sent to isis prison like because of the stupid isis charge so we're in this big prison that houses all the isis fighters luckily in there we weren't in main flow because we were like you know suspected terrorists we're in all that we're in a terror prison so you can't there's no mixing you know what i mean everybody's just locked down 24 7 literally 24 7. so you're locked down all the time and we just heard some of them shouting and like one guy like pissed in this bit of paper and like threw it into our courtyard and shit like just fucked up stuff like they must have known like some kafara down there but then as we get deported, we end up in deportation prison in main flow with all these foreign ISIS fighters. So they're guys that had basically been caught on the border and most of them were Chechen. Uh, there was a Brit, there was a guy from Tajikistan, uh, there's an African fighter. There were all these guys basically been picked up on the border or whatever. Some of them had like open bullet wounds in their arms. I suspect they were coming to Turkey to try and find someone to you know stitch them up or whatever. So all of these guys are in with us. And there's also like loads of refugees as well who've just been caught, not, not jihadists or anything, they've just been, you know, trying to get to Europe. So we were in with like a load of really nice Afghan lads. And yeah, so, so to cut a long story short, we found ourselves literally sat there eating breakfast with uh, foreign ISIS fighters. It was absolutely mental. It was just pure insane, man. And there was actually a TV room. How was, how was the breakfast in Turkish jail? Uh, edible <laughs> you know <laughs> edible um but the deportation prison we actually had a really good time which sounds mad because the, before that it was pure and utter hell but for me at least but um when we knew we were getting out it was like all right great like this is great like me and my best friend were just in there and making friends with all these like really lovely afghan boys who were just trying to protect us from these isis guys and they were telling us like they're dashi like one of them spoke really good english and he's like they're dashis like you know they're isis um be careful you know don't go into the shower like don't go in the bathroom area like if they're all in there on their own and, and all this mad stuff um and this one guy had a shiv like he made this shiv i never forget um out of like a you know like a clipper lighter mm. and he'd melted the end of it and he got a teaspoon sharpened the handle and then dipped the like the spoon bit into the the, the hot plastic so it held so he had this like little shiv in the room with us this this lovely lad just like I didn't really clock until afterwards what was happening and I was thought, fuck me, these lads are trying to protect us. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Because these guys were not happy. You know, these ISIS guys were not happy we were there. You know, these two random white lads are just fucking in this jail full of like ISIS and then and some, some refugees. It was just a madness, mate. Well, I remember speaking to some of them. How was that? Yeah, it was weird. I remember there was one Chechen guy, I kind of spoke to him and um, he was he was just like, normal man he spoke a bit of english and he was just like eh, eh, blah 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 like chatting not about the caliphate or anything but it, we were just talking like normal and then afterwards i found out some guy was like that's the guy to stay away from i was like oh fuck <laughs> you know what i mean so very weird yeah very weird situation you were released uh at some point and came back to the uk yeah so we got deported we were we weren't in jail long i'll be honest we were in four different prisons which sounds like whoa that's mad but we were in jail 11 days and then mohammed rasul um you know our boy he he was kept a lot longer you know he was kept a lot longer he's out now as well but anyway he was kept a lot longer we were deported and sent back to england and within 24 hours we'd gone from all this madness in jail and then i was just i remember me and my mate were just sat there in london um on the street waiting for a haircut 
and just being like, wow, <laughs> like what a mad couple weeks, you yeah. know what I mean? Like pure madness. And I actually think it was a good thing that happened in the end because I was um, probably a little bit too reckless as when I was younger. I was like 25 at the time. I was a bit too reckless, I think. And it very quickly made me realize like, yeah, you can get fucking killed easy. You know what I mean? Um, right. Out here doing this work. And also made me just, I know it sounds kind of like cliche, but it just made me appreciate like freedoms a lot more, you know, to actually feel your rights just kind of extinguished um it was was a weird feeling like a new feeling you know what i mean like, i've never felt that before to that degree of just like boom right. no rights you're you're nothing anymore which was just fucking weird man you know what i mean so yeah overall i think it was probably um look there's there's nothing like finding out who you really are um than having a little stint in turkish prison put it that yeah. way you know what i'm saying yeah. well i'm glad to hear that your friend is um also making it out yeah man it's all going okay like i think i think they're going to realize like they're not terrorists, you know what I mean? We have no intention of doing terror. Like, I think hopefully it's all going to work out, but who knows? Just keep saying Vice News. Don't don't tell them Popular Front. Yeah, I mean, I didn't pick the best name. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. With the name, like, I always get people asking me, like, what are you, a fucking communist or whatever? I'm like, absolutely not, <laughs> for a start. Um, but the idea is a, a Popular Front historically would be when a coalition of people that don't necessarily agree with each other all the time come together for a specific cause. So, for example, you saw it in like, the Spanish Civil War when communists and anarchists came together. They formed a Popular Front to fight Franco. Now, communists and anarchists, of course, don't get on often, but they were like, look let's fucking come together, let's fight this fascist, you know? So unfortunately that all fell apart and the communists and anarchists ended up fighting each other. But the point is, with Popular Front, I called it that because I was like, I don't care about your stupid political allegiances in this realm of what I'm doing. Like, if you're a Nazi, you get to fuck. If you're a tanky, you can fuck off as well. But I don't mind if you're a bit left, you're a bit right, whatever. The idea with Popular Front is let's all just come together do in-depth conflict reporting, learn about shit and leave all that stupidness behind. You know what I'm saying? Like all that, oh, Trump said this, Trump said that. If it's not relevant to my topic, don't talk to me about it. And I think people like that, you know, no one wants to be preached to all the time and you shouldn't base your reporting on who should I pick the sides on? You know what I mean? Like obviously like, ISIS you're never gonna say like oh well let's let's give them a fair whack obviously not but you know what I mean it, when it comes down to this stupid like petty squabbling over like oh this guy said that this guy said that oh well you're literally Hitler no you're literally Hitler like that's just um, we're not interested in that popular front just if you if you're interested in that don't get involved that that's getting left behind for me you know what I mean so so that's why I call it popular front and so you know you have a strong personality and you don't really care about yeah I'm an asshole <laughs> you don't really care about pissing people off it, how, I mean, no, I used to. How is that being know. like? You know, I mean, I know that media is one of those. It can it can tend to be a big circle jerk, and if you don't play the game, you get kind of excluded. I mean, has that been an issue? Yeah, definitely. I um, I've like definitely lost work just based on my just. Do you know what? I hit a point about a year ago where I, you know, I was a freelancer and I was kind of bending over backwards and jumping through hoops for all these idiot commissioners. Like most commissioners at most media places are fucking morons. Um, I don't care they are, and. Actually, not, not most, but a very big majority of them are idiots, you know? And I just said, you know what? Like, I'm not happy. I'm miserable. I'm sick of censoring myself just for all this. I've worked fucking hard. You know, I've got no qualifications, nothing. Like, And I worked hard to be able to do this. And then I thought, why am I jumping through these hoops? I thought, you know what? Fuck it. 
not doing it anymore and I just started being the arsehole I am. A lot of people don't like me and like I said, I don't care, whatever. Like, you're not meant to be liked by everybody, you know? I want to have this no bullshit attitude all the time. My, my thing was like, how are we in the field being completely honest all the time and telling the truth as journalists and then we get in the newsroom and start fucking lying to each other and be scared to tell the commissioner what we think? No, that's not happening. So for me, I, I just got myself in a lot of trouble, I think, at Vice just by being like, fuck this shit, fuck that, don't want to do it. Left there. Um, and yeah, man, started popular front. I don't. Think, I think if it fails, that I'll have to go and find a new job. <laughs> I don't. I think um, I've probably made myself a little bit unemployable. But I'm very big on calling out the the problems with journalism. I've never seen it in such a state. You know, I've been doing this five six years now, which is not a long time. But I've never seen it in such a bad state. It actually blows me away. Um, I, ju I just think it's awful. And I never thought I'd be one of these guys, but I am coming around to being a guy that's like yeah. fucking mainstream media. And I never, ever thought I would feel like that. But honestly, I start looking at it. I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, how is this... How is this allowed to be the narrative put out? So, Like you said, many mainstream media outlets have kind of constricted or eliminated their investigative or conflict journalism sections. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like has that kind of put a squeeze on people who want to get into that field and, and made people maybe kind of like train or aim for you know more like uh, columnist jobs or opinion stuff yeah and i think that's the death of journalism when you got guys that are like aiming to do fucking opinion pieces which are completely and utterly useless in my opinion um i think that's the death of journalism when you start having people that and i know i'm being incredibly negative here and i come across as a very bitter guy because i absolutely am <laughs> because i'm very sad at like what i love i love my work you know i love my industry i am man i am i'm a fucking asshole but like i love what i do and i love journalism Journalism. I think that, you know, the, the I don't want to say the art of journalism, that's nonsense, it's not fucking art, but you know what I mean? That the core of what it is, I think is so important and I love journalism and that's why I'm so bitter about it. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best journalist or anything like that. I think I'm good at what I do, but I'm not like saying that I have all the answers. I just think that when, when you're, like you said, when people are kind of having to limit that the money put into conflict journalism, which is, in my opinion, incredibly important. You know, I always have a feeling that if kids or innocent people are being killed somewhere, yeah. that's a big, important story and you should definitely be getting on it, which, as we know, happens in war all the time, right? Um, I think independent media is going to make a little comeback, you know, you know, like myself with Popular Front and what you guys are doing. I think people are... Um, you know, they're liking that stuff again. They're kind of realizing like I can't really get what I want from this big corporate news agency. So I'm going to go to like freaks like me and whatever, you know what I mean? And get the, the stuff there. So I think, you know, it kind of works out. But, it, but again, then there's, there's the other thing. I think you have to be very critical of your own self. Like I do. Maybe I like being the underdog. Maybe I like being, maybe if I was given a million and I became a mainstream outlet, maybe I wouldn't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> maybe there's a bit of that to it as well. I don't know, but... Yeah, I don't know. I'm very critical of the way things are going. I just think opinion is taking up far too much um, time. But don't get me wrong, there are some incredible journalists out there still. Like, and even at like, yeah. um, you know, I like the New York Times. I think the New York Times is great. Um, they fuck up now and then, but as does everybody. Um, BBC News even, they do some, some good stuff still. You know, like I think there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, I just think now is hopefully going to be the time for like independence to, to kind of make a comeback. Yeah, I guess the the question is, are the are there going to be financial structures that allow that work to to happen? You know, um, well, no, no, and I think because I think there were for a bit, but like YouTube, you know, is is horrific, horrific levels of censorship going on right now. You know, and and I mean, you watch that YouTube Rewind twenty eighteen. There's just this insane, complete lies. You know, like like they're openly lying to the people that made their platform by saying these are the most popular things. 
No, they're not. That is terrifying to me. When I see a big company like that, that gave so many people a voice and allowed like a whole generation of people to have an independent kind of media platform to then suddenly start lying to them, censoring, demonetizing because some absolute lizard man in a suit decided, he, oh, I don't like that. That's a bit weird. That's a bit edgy. Get it off. We can't monetize that. It's, it's appalling. So to answer your question, I think the problem actually is that like independent media can only get a comeback if the the kind of um, viable uh, monetary situation can can happen, which how can it? I don't know. Patreon's great for me. I've got popular front on Patreon. We sell bonus episodes, like literally selling, I guess, bonus episodes and all sorts of other stuff. And it, it is working for me. I think people like it. But at the same time, you know, it's not really, I can't say to someone, hey, invest in this. And when you've got like New York Times who like waste so much money, so much money every year, like on such dumb shit and they're asking for donations, you know, like when they're asking for donations, man, that's when you know, like, <laughs> like it's going to be hard for an independent. D donate so we can hire Barry Weiss. Yeah, like, donate so we can, could we, well, did you see that? I mean, they're, they're giving, like, dictators, like, totalitarian dictators. They give them opinion pieces. It's insane. Like, what are you doing? Do you know how many times I've, I've nearly had stories go through with New York Times, and they've all fallen apart at the last hurdle, and then some fucking fascist dictator gets, a, gets an opinion piece. Like, are you mad? Yeah. Like, it's infuriating, you know? Yeah. So confusing what they're willing to to put in their opinion uh, section is... Well, they have this... They, uh, I spoke to New York Times reporters and it's a complete cop-out. Like, a lot of the New York Times reporters I know and I'm, like, friends with are like, we hate the opinion piece, but don't worry, it's nothing to do with us. It is to do with you. It's on New York Times. It's not to do with you directly, but it's if it's under New York Times... That's it. You know, imagine I had some fucking Nazi was working for Popular Front. Yeah. And someone was like, yeah, you got fucking Nazi there. And I went, oh, don't worry. It's, you know, it's, it's, he works on uh, the social media. It's, it's not Popular Front. No, just don't go to popularfront.co slash Nazi and you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Don't go on that bit. It's nothing to do with it. I'm like, no, like <laughs> kick him out. He's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't say that. It represents your company. So it doesn't make any sense to me when they say so that. So when you talk about censorship, you know, you're not necessarily talking about um, not. I mean, I don't. Basically. I don't know, man. I'm. I, I'm. My version. I, I've been called like. Uh, I've been called a literally Hitler for my views on censorship before. Um, I just hate censorship. I've seen it in motion, and I just think it. Uh, it always leads to a bad place. But we all censor ourselves in some way, you know. Like. Um. I don't know. Like even on Twitter, I'll be like, oh, look up my feed one day, and be like, what the fuck was I on about? Like, delete that. Delete that. Like, shut the fuck up. But that's like, I don't want to present yeah. like. Um, you know, like a, f uh, a false version of yourself to the world because I had some fucking stupid rant where I was being a crybaby. You know what I mean? But, uh, but, but uh, you yeah. know, maybe I'm a hypocrite. I don't know. But Tell me a little more about Popular Front, what it is currently uh, and what's next for it. Popular Front is it's uh like my platform um it's independent conflict journalism but very very niche very geeky like the details like for example we have a whole hour on the podcast talking about the way isis made their suicide um car bombs and we have a whole episode talking about the use of um suppressors on weapons in the middle east from militant groups you know so it's very very niche very geeky it's not for everyone and that, that was kind of my premise. I wanted to be like, this isn't for everyone. I get it. Not everybody's going to want this much detail and that's okay. You know, it's okay. Like if you do, yeah. you can get it from here. But surprisingly, like people from all walks of life seem to be really interested in it. And I think I've started to realize like people want a little bit more detail than what they're getting from the news or whatever. So I was like, right, the podcast was going well. And I started the podcast because, you know, I didn't have any money. I couldn't do like, right, let's start doing docs. I've got no money to go anywhere. So I started the podcast and then I realized like people kind of like it. 
the topics are very serious, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. So I'm not going to come with some earnest, like, you know, kind of vibe, which you get with a lot of conflict journalism. Conflict is one of the most fascinating things ever, I think. I think that's kind of true always, even if you don't want to know about it. I think it's still very fascinating, you know. And the way that it's projected so often in this boring, bland way is just horrible. And I'm not saying we'll sensation sensationalise anything. I'm just saying, like let's talk like fucking human beings, you know what I mean, about the topic, not like, you know, on the news, you get this five minute slot, like, what do you think is happening? Like, nah, 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 like, let's have a proper conversation about it. And that's, and that's, it's been working. People have liked it, you know? Yeah. Go to the source. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that exactly. And, and you know, we've been doing all right. And the podcast started to kind of blow up and people really liked it. Um... So then I, I was like, right, I want to do docs as well. I want to do documentaries. That's what I always used to do. And I haven't had a chance to do it for a year or so. So I was like, right, fuck it. Let's go and do a doc. So we made two documentaries so far. And I went and covered the um, the Yellow Vest protest in France. And like the video I did, I, I was like, I've got to have the same premise of the detail from Popular Front's podcast. And it really worked. And you know, I went into all the detail, like kind of documented as many kind of cases of police brutality as possible, which you're just not seeing on the news for some reason. Um, and yeah, people liked it. So I think that's the way I'm headed. Just in-depth conflict journalism. I always say like no frills, no elitism. It's, that's, that's another thing as well. Like I'm coming from a very like... Some people say, oh, you're, you're obviously an anti-capitalist. Think what you want. I'm coming from an anti-elitist point of view. I don't want any corporate lizard men. I've said that from the start. I will not take investment from any scumbag. I can promise you that. So that's why I'm on the Patreon. I'm like, I want the listeners, people that like it, to fund it and keep going. If they don't like it, fine, it will fail. I don't mind. But I'm not having any corporate influence, like vampirism, just jumping on it and trying to eat out all of the integrity. I just don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. Look, I love Popular Front, and I'm so glad I started. We've got a community now. We've got this big Discord group. We've got like lads all over the world contact me saying, like, I wanted to get into conflict journalism, and I didn't think, like, oh, I, I'm not that kind of guy. And then they they heard Popular Front. They're like, oh, this guy is a fucking idiot. You know, like, I can do it too, you know, and I want that. I want people to know, like, mate, you don't have to be some snotty expert. Like, let's just get involved, and let's do deep research, and that's it, you know. And, and that's I think that's... Uh, a good vibe to have, I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's very cool. I definitely listen. Thanks, man. What is next for Popular Front? More video? Yeah, more video, definitely. So after the back of the um, the Yellow Vest protest thing, a lot of people were saying, like, you should do more video. Like, this is this is really what we need. So I think definitely more video. But again, the problem is the funding. Like, it's fucking expensive to make docs, you know what I mean? Yeah, it costs a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very good at making things on a shoestring. For example, the Yellow Vest Unrest uh, dispatch we did, it cost like £200, me and a mate, you know, slept uh or didn't sleep rather drove overnight you know went and stayed in paris did it whatever and came back and you know it's a decent thing and um i know how to make things on a shoestring but you at least need the fucking shoestring first you know what i mean so we're, we're slowly getting there the patreon's definitely eking its way up um and i'm investing all the money that i can back into the you know into popular front i still do freelance stuff now and then you know i've been doing some work for bbc and other places but i'm kind of trying to make this the main thing and yeah, do more docs. Uh, same again, full steam ahead, more podcasts. We've done merch as well. We've been selling merchandise. Um, and there's going to be, I'm going to do a coffee table book um, actually this year with, um, there's a there's a, a guy running um, like this Instagram channel called uh, Propagandopolis. And we're going to do like a coffee table book just called Total Propaganda. Like, you know, I'm trying to play on that thing where people are like, that's total propaganda. Mm. So we're going to make a book that's actually total propaganda. So it just shows like loads of um, 
propaganda posters from all over the world from various different wars, you know, and just explaining what they're about. I think that'd be pretty cool. So yeah, more, more stuff that like that. That is really cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, right. I think it'd be cool, right? So we're, we're going to do more stuff like that. I want it to be like its own self-sustaining thing. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jake. Mate, thanks so much for having me and thanks for letting me talk and just chat shit. And like, I like that, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will, will disagree with a lot of what I've got to say, which I'm very happy to talk to people and like be disagreed with and have debates. I love it, man. It's great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our Unlocked Premium episode. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous, where for five bucks a month, you can subscribe and get all of our weekly premium episodes. Thank you for helping us grow into a sustainable thing. My friends, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I shall remember this moment until my dying day. (laughs) 